What's up, film fans? Happy Mother's Day. Uh, welcome into the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm Brandon Champion. I'm Mike Nichols. And I'm Evan Dean. Ah, <laughs> yes. And we're the Second Day Film Club. We're so happy to be here today on Mother's Day, May 9th, 2021. Uh, Evan, fantastic news reporter voice there. It's good to have you back. <laughs> hey, it's good to be back. Hope you guys are doing well. Champ, did I say the right name that you want me to say when I introduce myself? Sure, sure. Unless you have like a, like, do you have like a, um, what do they call it? A pen name where you have like a professional secret alias for your, uh, for your writings and musings? Yeah, it's called Michael Nichols. Oh, okay. And not, not the famous Mike Nichols, right? No, I'll never be that guy. I wish, but I'm not. Well, let's uh, talk about those movies. Oh, yes, yes. I, here I am saying that we're not going to dilly-dally, and I'm already just bringing up crap that doesn't matter. But I hope everyone had a good Mother's Day out there. Uh, I hope that you guys spent some time with your mothers, or at least got to give them a call. I know you guys live in different states now, but uh, it's an appropriate day to talk about some of the films we're going to talk about here on uh, on the Second Day Film Podcast, because... Mothers, man, really all across the country, all across the world, they're the heroes, right? Moms are always stepping up for their young. They're always doing whatever they can do, protecting them, mama bears. They're the real heroes in the world. And uh, on today's episode, we got, you know, several hero-related shows that we're going to talk about. Uh, We've got Disney Plus action on this episode, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, both have aired in their entirety. Uh, Mike and I both watched them eagerly along with the release, so we're going to talk about those today. There's also an Amazon Prime series, Invincible, uh, also deals with the idea of heroes. All three of us have seen some of that, so we're going to check that out. And I'm not sure you can call them heroes, but Mortal Kombat sure is full of uh, interesting characters that fight for they, what they believe to be right. Um, so we'll also be delving into the new 2021 film of Mortal Kombat, which is on HBO Max right now. If you could please like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it, check out our Facebook page at Second Day Film Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film. It would be very much appreciated. Give us a like, give us a rating, give us a review. Uh, we would very much love to hear from you. So, uh, you boys ready to get into this? Let's do it. All right, cool. Kicking things off with uh, WandaVision. It is uh, a show that aired uh, this year, the first of Phase 4 uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is on the Disney Plus streaming platform. It's a miniseries, uh, and it blends the style of classic sitcoms with the MCU in which Wanda Maximoff and Vision, two superpowered beings living their ideal suburban lives, begin to suspect that everything is not what it seems. Uh, Jack Schaefer was the creator and showrunner for this. It obviously stars Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany in the two leading roles. Uh, Catherine Hahn, Tayona Par- Paris, Josh Stanberg, David Payton, um, who's our guy, Randall Park is in this, Kat Dennings is in this. So a lot of characters that we've seen in the MCU before. Um, But this is, Mike, at least in my opinion, something that we haven't seen in the MCU before. Um, And for that reason, it was pretty entertaining. So uh, where where are you at on WandaVision? I absolutely loved WandaVision. I thought it was a really creative exploration of not only these Marvel characters, but also just TV in general. The way they take one of their characters and then just put them in every era of pop culture television on it for American television was just a really strong showing of how much the MCU can really just become anything you want it to be. Like if you want to just take your characters and throw them through sitcoms throughout the ages. Yeah. That works in this universe. If you just want to have 
you know, a, a raccoon alien crime fighter who's now joining Thor, the Norse god of thunder, and, you know, uh, a super soldier, like, from Captain America's World War II days. Like, yeah, it all works. Like, the MCU can do pretty much anything it wants now, and WandaVision, WandaVision was kind of like the cherry on the cake for that. They, they basically were just like, hey, we can do TV mm-hmm. as TV. it was i agree man it was a really bold decision i think by by marvel i mean they've obviously got plans for a lot of shows on the streaming platform and wandavision is the one they decided to kick it off with and i think it's probably the most out of the box thing we've seen from the mcu because you know for those of you don't know basically in in wanda in their town that they're living in which i can't think of the name of right now but uh basically each episode is uh from the 50s a sitcom from the 60s a sitcom from the 70s all the way up to like you know a lizzie mcguire-esque early 2000s uh sitcom and each episode sort of takes the form of that era um and we find out later what's actually Mm -hmm. really going on but i thought that was a really really interesting idea to sort of use these characters to have a sort of tribute to television through the years and we sort of see this story unfold through that and it's a slow burn of a story that really revolves around the performances of Paul Bettany as Vision and um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Elizabeth Max- Olsen. Yeah, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. And it's interesting because obviously fans of the MCU know that Thanos killed Vision uh, in, in Avengers Infinity War. So when you're seeing Vision first pop up on this screen, you're like, wait a sec, what's going on? That leads to all sorts of different theorizing. Um, so I guess I'll ask you, Mike, I mean, how early on did you sort of get a, get a idea of what was going on? Or was it kind of like you weren't, you weren't there all the way till the very end? Well, the story is heavily based on the comic book series, the House of M comics, in which something very similar with Wanda does happen. So I kind of knew where they were probably going with it. But uh, yeah, in terms of uh, like the ultimate finish, like I really didn't know where it was going to go because the MCU will take the comic book storylines, address those as the problems, and then kind of find their own solution to it in their own MCU way. And I totally agree with you that Elizabeth Olsen was just such a strong performer in this show. I mean, in terms of the MCU, we you know you you kind of think of Robert Downey Jr.'s Jr.'s blah, blah, sorry I can't talk on a podcast ironically. But you think of RDJ's Iron Man as just like iconic or, you know, Chris Hemsworth is Thor. It's just iconic. Like you almost think like, I don't even know who else could ever play these characters because these people nail it so well. But man, Elizabeth Olsen's acting was just so on point in this show. And I really hope that she gets some, some kind of bigger recognition for it because she, she just kind of carried the show with her energy and Wanda's exploration of grief. Um, I don't know. Did you, did you have any kind of standout moments for you in the show champ? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of um, you know some of the things. It's been a while, but uh, I guess there was. I mean, there was obviously the last episode is kind of the big showdown between the you know Vision mm-hmm. and his counterpart and and Wanda and who we find out is the bad person in this show. And um, so I mean, there was some cool visual stuff done with with uh, with that. And I I have to commend them because Scarlet Witch is this character where it's like her powers are, you know, she has a lot of different sort of powers that kind of manifest in different ways. And I feel like it can look really hokey at times if you don't handle that sort of stuff. Right. Like you could have said like Harry Potter, 
same sort of thing where it's wands and stuff and they're shooting stuff at each other. That's something that can look really corny if it's not staged correctly. And I think that the film runners in this show, at least, um, did a really good job of staging action set pieces that are unique to the show, but also uh, sort of capitalized on the things that Wanda and Vision can do well in their fighting style. And, it, and likewise in uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, what we'll talk about, it was just fun to see the, sh the spotlight shined on these characters because um, they're largely side, I mean, they're obviously major characters, but you know, you mentioned Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and Spider-Man. There's just a lot of people taking up screen time. So it was great to spend time with uh, these two characters. Yeah, I mean, the deep dive is so well written, too. Like, Wanda's exploration of grief. And then you've got that one line that I... Oh, by every, it was yeah. everywhere on the internet. Yeah, the vision says, what is grief if not love persevering? That's one of the most powerful lines in the entire MCU, I think. It was... This, this show really focused on grief as its theme and also explored the different layers of it. I will say for me, though, the ending was a little bit, like, disappointing because um, it was built really well. And then at the end, it just kind of turned into... Uh, they're fighting like basically a Disney witch, like Ag Agatha Harkness. Like she turned very cheesy really quickly, and she was like, "Come on, Wanda!" It was like, oh, okay, like this, like her character was really well built, and then she just kind of, you know, just how do you not make that cheesy though? Like <laughs> it's pretty hard not know. to. <laughs> uh, but <yeah. laughs> the the other thing about the finale that disappointed me a little bit was how Wanda, like basically enslaved and psychologically and even physically tortured and like enslaved an entire town full of people. And at the end, it's like, okay, battle's over now. Yeah. You're all free. And they're all like looking at Wanda super pissed. And uh, <laughs> someone says to Wanda, you know, they'll never understand what you gave up for them because you know, want to, you know, Wanda has to basically let go of the illusion of the family she could have had in order to, you know, l let all these people live in freedom and like, just, you know, not be enslaved. And she's like, Oh, it wouldn't make any difference. And it's like, <laughs> wait, but so Wanda just gets to enslave a whole town and walk Oops, away. From I was it. grieving. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they're like, well, you know, guys, she did let you all go. You'll never understand what that meant to her. It's like, let us go. She didn't have to enslave us in the first place. What, like, I did think that the way Wanda just kind of got her moment of, well, she's real badass and she's like absolutely so powerful. She's the Scarlet she Witch. And yet, yeah, and yet there's no accountability or responsibility that like she has to deal with for enslaving all these people for like a week. It was, that was a little disappointing to me. That yeah, there was some I mean, we have this show that on its surface is like this happy-go-lucky slice of Americana, uh, you know, a TV show about TV and sitcoms, and it's so just, like, charming. But if you actually think about what's actually going on in the show, it is really dark. I mean, it's one of the darkest mm -hmm. things that the MCU has done, if you really delve into it. And that goes back to Wanda, Wanda's grief, how she's dealing with grief. And the other thing that's interesting about this show, um, and th there was one thing that I thought was weak too, but one thing that is interesting, I think, for the future of the MCU is Wanda is very much um, in the balance right now in terms of her psyche, in terms of where she's at as a superhero yeah. or a supervillain or an anti-hero. I could absolutely see in the future that she could be ser she could serve as an antagonist to some of our heroes. Um, and it so it's... The, the the show did set us up to a point where we don't know which direction Wanda Maximoff is going to go because it doesn't seem that she's fully over her grief. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm interested to see what happens with her in the new Doctor Strange movie. She's supposed to be in that one. Um, I'll also mention too. I thought the Evan Peters's Quicksilver cameo was amazing until it just turned into a really bad a pun joke. red herring. And yeah. then I I was like, come on, guys! Like that was, you know, and that, and, that was not uh, not as fun as I'd hoped it would end up being. And I thought, uh, you know, the, the side characters that they spent plenty of time developing throughout the show, you know, Tenora Paris as Monica Rambo, Randall Park as Jimmy Woo, Cat Dennings as Darcy Lewis. Uh, they kind of get sidelined a bit. And I know it's supposed to be Wanda and Vision's show, but they really, they spend a lot of time in the show building them up. Monica Rambo basically gets her own episode uh, for crying out loud. And they're just sort of side bit characters who sort of just come in at the end and do like one task. I thought that they were kind of underutilized towards the end of the show. Yeah. So I'd, I'd agree with you that overall the show, uh, you know, it has a lot of really great high points that, it's hitting as it's leading to its crescendo, but then the crescendo eh, fell a little flat. But along the way, that was it was still a good ride, and uh, there were definitely some highlight moments for the MCU. So overall, I give the show and its creativity and the performances an A minus. I'm right there too. I think I think the performances are fantastic. Paul Bettany and uh, Elizabeth Olsen they they're really at home in these roles. It was fun to see them sort of play a different side of them, and it was fun to just see more sides of them uh, as characters that sort of were on the periphery in the MCU. And uh, it was a cool show that that took some chances that I think landed for the most part. It was fun to see as nerds of TV and film lovers. It was fun to see the different eras of sitcom acted out and nailed perfectly. Um, so yeah, I'm right there with. I give it an 8 out of 10 for WandaVision. Um, sorry, Evan, we didn't let you talk there uh, because you haven't seen WandaVision, but I know that you uh, you have seen the MCU. So, I mean, did you... Did, yeah. What, what, were, uh, what are you looking forward to if, when you do get the chance to see this? Well, I'm, I'm just glad to kind of get some sort of description because I've seen this show promoted a lot, obviously, but it's hard to make sense of exactly what the storyline is in the promotions and in the teasers, because to your point, it's very unique in the style and the format it goes. Um, I also think it's cool that some of these side characters um, are getting kind of their time in the spotlight. And, and the MCU, I mean, is just a, a, a money-making and content machine. Because think about how many characters you had by the time we got to Endgame. Now you've got, all in this year, you've got Black Widow has a movie who's, that's being released. You've got uh, Winter Soldier and the Falcon, as you're about to talk about. Loki's got a series that's coming out soon. Hawkeye's got a series that's coming out soon. So yeah. it's interesting that, that uh, Marvel is taking kind of these side characters and using TV to... Um, allow them the chance to tell their own stories. And what I'm curious about is for the film diehards and for the structure of the, the, the films, you know, we know what's planned to be released. I wonder how the series, the TV series will be incorporated and if it'll be reliant on having seen those to move forward with the phase four of the, the films. So it'll be interesting. I need to find a way to, to see these, especially if I want to stay in the loop with the MCU. I would say 100% you will have need to have seen them because uh, they, they definitely uh, are sort of 
first of all, I think using TV is a smart way to go after the Infinity Saga because it's something different. It allows you more time to flush out characters. They can take their time with it. They don't have to rush with like movies that they want to, you know, they have six hours of content. Don't jam it into a two hour movie, just make a show. And that's something we've talked about on the pod before um, where the streaming platforms have sort of given them the medium to do that. But as Mike said in WandaVision, uh, this is going to directly lead up to the new Doctor Strange movie. Captain and yeah. uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to directly lead up to uh, potentially a new Cap movie, potentially, uh, you know, other things in that sort of realm. So they're definitely uh, explicitly using these shows as a canon part of the whole MCU. So um, I, I know we yeah. said we were going to jump into Mortal Kombat or, or something else, but we might as well just stick with MCU right now and just, just, just attack Cap and the Winter Soldier since we're already here. Um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier started premiering after uh, WandaVision was off the air. Um, it is uh, following the events of Avengers Endgame. Sam Wilson, who is Falcon, Bucky Barnes, who is the Winter Soldier, team up in a global adventure that tests their abilities and their patience. Malcolm Spellman is the creating. Uh, Kari Skoglin, I believe, is the, is the showrunner here. It stars Anthony Mackie as Falcon. Sebastian Stan is Bucky Barnes. Wyatt Russell, Aaron Kellyman, uh, Danielle Bruhl are in this. Uh, who else am I missing here? I think those are the main players, mostly. Um, but Obviously, characters that we're familiar with, much like WandaVision, uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier shines a light on Falcon and Bucky, who were basically characters that revolved off cap or worked off cap. And this show also gives us time to spend more time with them uh, and, to, and to really learn what makes them tick. Um, so, Mike, what are some of your initial impressions, impressions about this one? So... I think that Falcon and the Winter Soldier actually kind of starts off for me on a, on a strange note because, you know, at the end of Avengers Endgame, Sam takes the shield and says, thank you, I'll do my best. So I feel like that moment kind of signifies that he wants to do this and he's going to do this for Cap and for, you know, the future, uh, that it needs a new Captain America. And then the whole opening of the show is just like a sad, like dejected Sam who's like, you know, I'm not ready. Like, you know, I don't want to have to be bear the shield or that shield has a complicated, you know, meaning, especially for me as a black man, I just don't want to deal with this. And it's like, Oh, well, like literally the last scene we saw you in was a beautiful high note of you <laughs> picking the shield and doing it. So the whole intro of Sam not accepting the shield, it kind of feels like a, a retcon of the end of end game a little bit. Sort of, um, but you could also. You, sorry, I just want to say one thing. You could also, you could also say that okay. maybe that time has passed. Maybe, maybe he's had more time to reflect on it. Maybe he's had more people getting in his ear. Maybe he's just thought about it. Just an idea. Yeah, but no. So anyway, uh, they... <laughs> in your opinion, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, then then the show does some really good things though. Like it starts like going into who, who would the military pick for a new Captain America, who I thought was very well played by Wyatt Russell. And, uh, you know, the, the, the addition of um, the character Isaiah, uh, who was the, the, the hidden black Captain America and what happened to him, um, which is based on like real things that did happen in World War II where there, there was testing done on black soldiers. And um, I thought that was an incredible addition to the MCU. I was so glad they had that character in there. Um, but uh, yeah, like overall, like I, I really wasn't sure about a lot of the messaging of the show, 
with some of the characters like Carly as the the flag smashers like they were I I, I don't know like it, it was just too much like oh they want the right thing but for the wrong reasons and yeah. uh you know hey kids we're going to give you a morality lecture about you know you want to do the right thing but if you do it the wrong way then you just know better than the bad guys. By the way, we broke Baron Zemo out of jail just to find you. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so the whole- a little hypocritical uh, to be lecturing these kids while you're tromping around with Zemo about, hey, kids, you got to do everything the right way. And like, oh, really? Like, that's not what you're doing uh, at all. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you, you think I, about I the villain you- character was a little weak. You think about the MCU. We just talked about an MCU show that was completely outside the box. This show definitely falls like in the same realm that the winner, the Captain America movies did, which have always been, uh, even in the MCU, they've taken, they've been very like political in nature. They've asked like questions about, you know, uh, where the place that superheroes should have in the world and whether or not the Avengers are a good thing. And that's obviously what leads to civil war, like with differing opinions on all that. Um, so they've, they've always been kind of like bureaucratic and taking place in that sort of realm. And this show's very much in that realm too. And obviously very timely with the themes that uh, this show is, is pushing and, and sort of talking about because it, it deals a lot with like what, what Mike was talking about and what Sam is wrestling with off the jump, which is the complicated le- legacy of the Stars and Stripes, the legacy of what Captain America represents. Um, because Steve was a, a larger-than-life person who represented the S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, really well for the most part, but also had flaws. And now you have Sam Wilson, who's a black man, and it's outwardly said it's not hard to see these themes. Um, you know, the Stars and Stripes hasn't always represented black people and so he has complicated feelings because he wants to honor the legacy of his friend but he also feels that he might be wearing a symbol that doesn't that he doesn't feel he deserves or should even be doing and that's where the conversations with Isaiah Bradley come in so there's just all these complicated ideas about you know symbols and legacy and what they mean and um, I I personally think from that standpoint, I think the show did a pretty good job. I think that it was dealing with some, some tricky subject matter that's very timely. And I think that it, it attacks it from a lot of different angles and perspectives. And I think it definitely uh, gets you thinking about, you know, it, what the red, white, and blue means, but it does it in a sort of gray way, if you know what I mean, Mike. Yeah, I think one of those moments that stands to mind is there's the, the scene where Cap gets blood, or the new Cap, uh, uh, gets blood on the shield, right? Right. And to me, like, that was such a, like, you know, meant to be impactful moment in the show of like, whoa, he's crossed a line. He's gone too far. He killed someone with that shield. And I get that he killed someone who was defenseless and begging for his life, like, at the time. But that's, like, I, at the same time, also, what do they expect? They pick a, a, a guy who's won the Medal of Honor three times. Well, hmm. what do you think you normally do when you win the Medal of Honor? This guy's a soldier. He's a soldier like, he soldier. He kills people. Yeah. yeah, he kills people. And then, you know, how did Steve, what did Steve Roger do with the shield? He also killed people, did he not? So this guy, like, is in a, is in a fight where the, terror, the, the terrorists, the kids, the Flag Smashers, they're all superpowers, and they're all trying to kill them. Like, they're throwing knives at Bucky. They're... You know, like literally trying to kill them. They've already blown up a building with people in it. No. And then they kill his best friend right in front of him. So he, and, and they're like, oh my God, like we accidentally killed someone. It's like, 
You just blow up a building. You're throwing knives at people. You're shocked that like, whoa, the middle of the battle stops when you're all swinging at each other because, oh my gosh, we actually hurt someone. Slow-mo. Like, yeah, I think what they're I know, trying to do. And they're all like, like oh, yeah. whoa, I didn't realize it would go this far. Yeah. Like, what are you, like the, we're beyond those question lines at that point. So I thought like the way they tried to over-dramatize it as like, whoa, that guy got killed. Isn't that crazy? It's like, well, yeah, of course he got killed. They're all they're all literally fighting terrorists <laughs> and they're all military personnel who've been in combat and won medals for their like <laughs> killing people literally then like they see one of their own killed in front of them so then they kill one of the terrorists and everyone's like oh this is horrifying you don't represent the shield like i just thought it seemed a little hypocritical i'm not saying the guy should have killed the person because they were begging for mercy they were down but <laughs> like I think I they're trying to lend some. The preaching just got a little too hypocritical, given what the action was about. I think they're just trying to lend a little bit of like we've talked about and the Mar- Marvel's villain problem before, and I think they're they're very clearly trying to per- make um, you know um, what's her name? What's the villain's name? Uh, Carly, Carly Morgenthau. Oh. They're clearly trying to make her a sympathetic character, you know, sort of a tragic hero type. And, uh, you know, they, and I think that's, I don't know if that's really done because they want to have a good villain. I think it's more done because they want to really showcase Falcon and the, the emotions that he has, like from the jump, he's really portrayed as like an empathetic guy, someone who tries to listen to people, someone who tries to, you know, go a different way than just by smashing and grabbing like Cap would have done and try and empathize and listen to other people. And those are obviously really timely themes that we're dealing with right now. And I think that, the reason that they have they sort of shoehorn that stuff in or they they create this sort of sympathetic character in carly or the flag smashers is to try and show us that that falcon because he has these empathetic traits that's what makes him worthy to be captain america not just that he's a good guy not that just he's a good fighter but that he has empathy for people who are unlike him and i think so i think that's kind of why they're trying to build up that conflict between those two characters yeah no sam was great i loved everything sam did everything sam said i loved that he got to have some wakanda armor like at the end and that he got to give a that man sam's final speech where after the battle and like he's with all the politicians and sam just basically speaks the truth to them in a very big way about having empathy as leaders like he's basically talking to america no right now yeah that was that was one of my Yo, yeah, that was one of my favorite speeches in the entire MCU. I loved that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of stuff in the middle with Carly, with Baron Zemo. You know, the fact that the whole Baron Zemo storyline is just meaningless in a lot of ways because, like, why did they really need Zemo to find these? They really didn't. He was and entertaining. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then, like, now now Sharon Carter is, like, oh, that's kind of, the it worst. seems like they're throwing... Yeah. They threw her under the bus a little bit with her character development. And uh, yeah, I thought everything with Sam was good. I thought all the stuff with Bucky was good. I thought Wyatt Russell was a very good actor. Other than that, I, I actually didn't find this story satisfying as uh, WandaVision. Yeah, Sharon Carter, she seems really just sort of in this because they didn't know what else to do with her. I mean, she. So, what was the issue with Sharon Carter in the MCU movies, right? And she was mostly in the Cap movies, but like where she comes in and she's just sort of that inside person who shows up to save them when they need it, you know. And then, and they sort of set her up in the early episodes of this as sort of maybe 
there's something bigger to her story and we find out there is something bigger, but it's really not all that entertaining when we find out. And so we start in a place where it seems like they're going to make Sharon Carter a more relevant part of this story. Again, showcasing side characters. And then we get to the end and it's like, nope, she was just pushing the background again. We get a lame cut scene to try and set up future things. Um, I have heard some theories about maybe what's going on with Sharon, but uh, I think overall her inclusion in this series was a big failure. Yeah, they, they did our girl dirty. She deserved better. <laughs> um, and then last thing I'll say, the action set pieces in this overall really well done. I thought, uh, Dude, for the first 10 minutes with uh, Falcon flying around, rescuing, okay. uh, that guy out of the helicopter and dodging those missiles. That's like one of my favorite MCU fight scenes. That was so good. Yeah. The fight scenes, like if you think that this is like TV and they're not going to have the theatrical level MCU action sequences that we've seen, you're thinking wrong because, uh, there are some awesome set pieces in this. The fighting is crisp, well choreographed. Falcon obviously has this really unique fighting style. So it's pretty easy to make sick choreography with him. And Bucky's mostly just smashing people with his arm the whole time. But, uh, Evan, any thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I know you haven't seen this either. We got to get you a Disney Plus password, buddy. Oh man, I know it's you know I, I guess I'm kind of <laughs> I'm just kind of reflecting on how how things have changed since the pandemic. You know, it's like there's just so much content on on streaming platforms now. I mean, you think of HBO Max, you think of Amazon Prime, you think of Netflix, you think of Disney Hello. Plus. It's like <laughs> Hulu. I mean, it's like, you know, I guess if you think about, you know, the, the fewer times you're going to go to a theater and just, you know, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's tough to keep up if you don't have um, all of these subscriptions and it's like, every, there's good stuff on all these platforms. So I'm like thinking, Oh, I should get Disney plus, but I also want to get HBO max. So <laughs> I don't know. I got to make some decisions on which platforms I care about the most and go from there. Did, did you give a grade, Mike? <laughs> uh, Falcon and winter soldier. I'll give it a, uh, I'll give it a B. I'm at an eight on it too. I, I, I liked the, I just liked this. I mean, I liked just the ideas that were going on. I think it just really felt really timely to me. I think there was a lot of interesting stuff with race and symbols and all that that I talked about. So I, uh, you know, it made me think quite a bit every episode. I, I do think that this, the main villain was pretty weak and probably could have been better, but uh, I, I like the show overall so far. I've been really into these MCU shows and also shout out Marvel for putting that video of Baron Zemo dancing in the club for an hour straight on their official oh, YouTube yeah. page. That was amazing. Like you got to Google this, Evan. It's literally <laughs> Baron Zemo dancing in a club for an hour and the official Marvel YouTube page, put it up. It was fantastic. I'm very, very pleased with that. So thanks for appeasing us there. I did think Zemo brought some interesting comedy and it was kind of fun to see his interactions between uh, cap and, and Bucky, but I agree. He was sort of just a means to an end within the plot of the story. So that's uh captain and, uh, or captain Falcon in the winter soldier. Again, good. Nah, he is captain America now. Yes. Captain that, America is true. In the that is true. He is captain America. We saw that on social as well, but again, good to see characters like Bucky, um, 
and we didn't really get into it, but, but there's a lot of Bucky dealing with his own sort of grief and uh, guilt in this show as well, which I thought was really well done too. Um, so good to spend some time with these guys. Good to sort of get into their psyche and, and see some more. And we'll obviously probably see them in the future too. I think Kevin Feige uh, did come out and confirm that uh, Captain America 4 is in development so we will uh, uh, get to see Sam Wilson as Captain America on the big screen. Evan will have to catch up by then so moving on to something yeah, right? completely different. Uh, well not completely different it's still pretty fantastical it's uh, embedded in the culture of America. Uh, it's Mortal Kombat this is a, a remake of the 1995 film of the same name, obviously based on the iconic video game series, uh, numerous games coming out. This film is directed by Simon McQuaid. Uh, MMA fighter Cole Young seeks out Earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of Outworld in a high-stakes battle for the universe. Uh, this film stars an ensemble cast of... Well, I'm just going to say it. I don't really recognize uh, anyone except for <laughs> Hiroki Sonata, who I, I believe was in uh, Westworld, and uh, I've seen him around elsewhere. Uh, he plays ha, uh, Hanzo, so he's, he's just kind of a bit character that comes in and out. But listen, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Evan, I know you played the Mortal Kombat games. I really didn't a whole lot. I'm the only one who saw this movie. Um, it was kind of fun. I hate to say it. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. It was fun. But, uh, you know, it, like, it almost was like watching uh, – it was almost like watching a Mortal Kombat video game play out because, like, obviously you go to watch Mortal Kombat, you're going to see the fights, right? That's what, you're, that's what you want. You want to see some fights. You want to see some sick moves. You want to see them all using their arcanas and their, their special moves. And for the most part, I think the fight's delivered. This film, though, which is something I didn't expect, I guess I should have when it was rated R, it is so gory and bloody. And I think that's on purpose where, because Mortal Kombat, the video games were super gory. So it's almost like they're, they're trying to channel like the actual video game because the blood is way over the top. It's like a, a dark crimson red that's just like spraying at the camera. Like it's almost like corny on purpose because I think they're going for that video game vibe. So I thought they did a good job in that respect. Um, and there's lots of other stuff I could say that they didn't do well. But, Evan, you didn't get a chance to see this. But, I mean, you, you saw the original Mortal Kombat and you played the game. So I assume you would like to see it? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you kind of have to go into it with low expectations in terms of some of the things that we traditionally care about. Um, when we watch movies. I mean, I think we all, the three of us, have some level of film intellect, and Mortal Kombat is just not that. Um, but, you know, when you look back to the 1995 film, um, I mean, I thought it was great. I loved it. And it actually w wasn't panned by uh, critics. It was kind of a mixed bag. But, you know, that film, you know, you pretty much went from, you know, and it was some epic fight scene, a couple minutes of dialogue to an epic fight scene and it kind of worked its way um, down the line. And, you know, I, I really love that movie. And obviously uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation was just, you know, for as low of an expectation as you could have for a Mortal Kombat movie, that was just all over the place, messy, terrible. But no, I mean, it sounds like, you know, if you, I think it's one of those things, if you go into it with a certain expectation, uh, it can meet that expectation. And it sounds like you at least went into it not expecting some incredible story or some, 
you know, amazing emotion or acting, you go to it for the fights, for those favorite characters to see who's going to win. Well, I had, yes, that is true. I mean, I went to it wanting to see good fight scenes, but at the same time, I mean, I saw the 95 one and, and those, those are the sort of things that bugged me is that like you have all these awesome characters, right? Like these creations from the Mortal Kombat world, you know, Kano and Sonya Blade and Sub-Zero and, uh, you know, Prince Goro and just like these awesome Lord Raiden, just like Scorpion, just like these cool Mm -hmm. characters. And you have this unique concept of like there being different realms, you know, Outworld and Earth Realm and all these things. And they meet for this tournament to the death where they battle for like the heart of the world or (laughs) the universe or whatever. Like, I just think that like, there's interesting ideas there where if you did approach it in a more thoughtful way, I think you could have a way better movie. Like, I, I so yes, are you we, saying if, if Chris, if Christopher Nolan made Mortal Kombat, it would be the best. Like, <laughs> yes, best actually, movie. if you approached it from an outs out of the box angle where you maybe went with a more grounded story and then like, this is how this became this. I don't know if it would work, but I just, it was basically a remake of the 1995 one. And it had the same problems, terrible dialogue, weak motivation for characters, uh, awful plot development uh, characters. There's so many characters that are coming on and off screen before you can even care about them. It's just like, it just makes it weak because when you're having this, what is supposed to be dramatic, battle to the death for the soul of the realm or the soul of the world you don't really care which side dies you just want to see people getting screwed up by that point because you don't really care and they they do try and like shoehorn in this emotional gut punch at the end and it's just not there and that's because they didn't take the time to really build up the characters so i just think it's kind of weak in that respect and yes it's cool to see them kick the crap out of each other i guess i was just I guess because it was on HBO Max, because of this, I was just kind of holding out hope for maybe a little bit better Mortal Kombat movie, and that didn't really happen. So, uh, Mike, you were going to watch this. Did you see the original? Uh, what I have seen of Mortal Kombat is there's a very <laughs> famous line in Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which came out in 1997, and the line is, Mother, you're alive. Too bad you <laughs> will die <laughs> it's considered like one of the worst well yeah i mean uh, that movie scenes was scenes or dialogue bits in any movie ever yeah. so yeah. i have one question about this mortal combat what was there any line like in the movie that just made you like roll your eyes or like uh dude every third wrong. line every third line man yeah. it wasn't good this character cole young mm-hmm. which i don't i'm not sure he's a no, he's not. Games. Luke Kane Luke Luke is the main hero in Mortal Kombat right. in terms of the original movies. And he, he kind of serves as the Cole Young in the original. Right. So Luke Kane is basically amounts to nothing more than a side character in this. And Johnny Cage, is that his name? Johnny Cage? Yeah. He's not even, yeah. he's not even in this movie. Spoiler alert. That's so, disappointing, man. So you have two characters that are like iconic that are sort of sidelined and they try and sh- tell the story through this Cole Young guy who is probably the most uninteresting character in the whole movie. <laughs> and when yeah. his arcana comes out, when his special talent shows up, it's also kind of boring. So I just feel like there's missed opportunities in this movie. 
yes, Mike, every third line you'll be rolling your eyes about something or just the over the top <laughs> acting by some of these, uh, whether they're American actors or Asian actors, the over the top acting is laughable pretty much all the time. <laughs> like it's just bad. Oh, it's, I, I will add this, um, you know, so the original, you know, they really kept to the tournaments. Like the idea was the tournament. We had, you know, this this tournament where people were moving up through the ranks. In the second, in Annihilation, they tried to do, I think, some of the things you're hinting at, like these outer realms and these different worlds. And it was just terrible. So in that sense, the just the traditional, this is a fighting tournament plot line, I think worked better now obviously i haven't seen this movie in a long time so if i went back and watched 95 i probably would do some more eye rolling than i did when i was a teenager I watched and thought it, it was badass and definitely did a lot of yeah, eye I'm, rolling <laughs> i know i haven't seen it in a while but you know for, for i think for a fan who for a kid who played the games in the 90s and who watched the movie when i was a teenager it was cool but i could see that's why i said in the beginning i can see you know, appreciating film as we do now is a lot different. And when you're thinking of Mortal Kombat films, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're interested in, in watching uh, a movie that is, uh, if you're a diehard Mortal Kombat fan, I'll say that. And you just want to, you, you're playing fighting games for fighting, for violence. This movie's probably going to land because it's like, you're watching those crazy showdowns, those fights. And, the, and like I said, the violence, super over the top uh it's almost comical to the point where it's so outrageous and crazy that it's just like that person would not bleed that much you're like you got like intestines getting sliced in half like it's it's pretty gory but it's like fake gore so it's not like it's not like (laughs) oh my gosh i'm so you know i can't handle this but i think a larger conversation we can have about this real quick is why did why and mike i'll ask you why do video game movies always suck because you don't get to play them. <laughs> Is that it? Because you'd think that video games would be a gold mine for, you know, story, storytelling opportunities. And it seems like every time, you know, the Prince of Persia with Jake Gyllenhaal or uh, uh, the Assassin's Creed movie that came out or Rampage or these Mortal Kombat movies, they're just never good. And I don't really understand. The Tomb Raider movies are kind of meh. I just, I don't understand. Well, I would say that it's because the filmmakers have to create more of a story. Most of these video games, you know, you, you get a sense of some small story while you're playing them, but actually taking the game and turning that into a script, they have to add so much. And that's where I think it really falls flat because there's just not enough in the game itself um, to, to tell a good story. And then, so you're trying to basically add stories and add characters within a video game and it's all manufactured. Well, maybe, maybe look at it from this perspective. Uh, um, have any of you guys ever played the Spider-Man PS4 game that came out a couple years ago? No, but I want to. <laughs> it's okay, on my I list. remember when, when we got done with that game, my friend and I, uh, who we were playing it, we, we turned and looked at each other and said, that was the best Spider-Man movie, and we just played it. Um, mm. I think that video games are actually really doing great storytelling now. I think yeah. they are having almost movie-like graphics and 
like the the depths that they're going into in terms of character development and all the different characters like you know if you had 40 characters to a movie that's going to be really tough to give them all time and to give them all like arcs and to give them all meaningful you know like events to, to put them into it's actually not that hard for a video game which can be like 20 hours yeah. or 10 hours so like i would say that uh like video games have the advantages of looking as good as the movie does now but you get to do it you get yeah, but some but some of those games though that you're talking about that have introduced a good story have already had a groundwork laid through film you know so that spider-man's not original in that sense right and and I know yeah, I, that's, that's I, think, I, I do think you're right over time. I think that there has been more of an effort to build up those massive fantasy storylines within video games, much more so than when we were kids or teenagers, but some of the best ones. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's building off of maybe a, a movie series that's already been established. So. Yeah. And part of know, that is I, just I the, think, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I just was going to say, I think that some of the things that Champ's talking about, you're talking about maybe some of these older games where back when those games were made and then eventually turned into movies, they hadn't built up that, uh, those, those storylines. Because you're right, that, that is now a thing, but that wasn't when they started making movies off of video games. Yeah, I mean, I think of like a game series like God of War has a super elaborate uh, thing, you know, and that's original content. Well, based off Greek mythology, but I think like in the yeah. technology has also allowed for better storytelling in video games too. Obviously it was hard to tell a full story when you had a 2d Sonic, the hedgehog, you know, going up and down, a, going around rings and stuff. But uh, I think maybe yeah. one thing you brought up about all the characters, Mike is like, you know, mortal Kombat is obviously something that has a lot of characters in it. So many characters. So you're trying to introduce all these characters and do like fan service you know because everyone had their guy that they like to play with right everyone had their their character so you're trying to give all these characters on both sides some sort of backstory some sort of reason why we care about them but it's a it's an hour and 50 minute movie you just don't have time to do justice to all of them and something like mortal Kombat, which is literally based on its characters that's the draw it's unique characters and their fighting styles i can see how it would be mm-hmm. difficult i guess to flush them all out in a two-hour movie so Unfortunately, this Mortal Kombat movie just, I was hoping for a little bit more and it didn't really give me other, anything other than basically an updated version of the 1995 one. I gave that 1995 one a three, Evan. So sorry for your mixed reviews. I thought it was awful. I gave this one a four and a half out of 10. It's mostly a pretty forgettable movie. Uh, it, the fighting is cool. Sure. Other than that, it's pretty bad. Yeah. But if you're into Mortal Kombat, it's probably worth checking out sounds like it's godzilla versus kong oliver <laughs> i liked godzilla versus kong a lot better than mortal Kombat. i'll just say that maybe because i like them i like those characters better i don't know but it's probably a skip it unless you're a diehard mortal Kombat fan let's get it let's get hey in. go ahead those were 500 dollar sunglasses asshole oh god oh my god now i'm having flashbacks to how bad that was dude oh now i'm now i can really like visualize how bad that movie was it, oh the, it just, the original mortal Kombat fans yeah. will get that but it just doesn't it just doesn't hold up that's really the main reason no i i I, I probably won't even go back and watch it just because it'll it'll make me unappreciate the things i did like when i was 
14 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so, sorry. No, it's fine. We're going to move on to the final thing we did here today. And it is definitely not something you want to skip. Uh, it's something that Mike brought up to us to watch. Uh, I watched the whole thing this week. Mike has seen the whole thing. I think Evan's seen three episodes of it. Um, it is called Invincible and it is on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, this this show, man, this is a, an animated cartoon series. Uh, hold on, I'm pulling up the plot here or the uh, description. An a adult animated series based on the Skybound Image comic about a teenager whose father is the most powerful superhero on the planet. Uh, this is created by Robert Kirkman, who's also known for creating the Walking Dead comics. Uh, I think it was like 2002 when these comics debuted. Uh, but this voice cast, man, Steven Yeun, Sandra yeah. O, J.K. Simmons, Zazie Beats, Kevin Michael Richardson, Walter Goggins, you get Zachary Kinto, you got Kari Payton, Clancy Brown, Mark Hamill, Ross Markran, Mahershala Ali, John Hamm, Seth Rogen. I mean, there's famous people popping in and out of this thing, lending their voices. Some of them are only in a single episode. A lot of Walking Dead actors in this, obviously. Robert Kirkman uh, doing a little... Uh, there's at least like eight or nine actors from The Walking Dead that are in that lend their voices to this. So obviously reusing his relationships there. But Mike, you're the one who made me watch this. I'm very glad you you did, sir. Uh, what are some of your thoughts about this Invincible? All right. So for those who don't know, Invincible is a comic book series and it's not set in either the DC or the Marvel Universe. It's just kind of its own superhero universe that is in some ways mimics though of both those two universes particularly uh i would say the superman legacy is really kind of what this explores the most so it's set in a universe where they don't have wonder woman but they have like war woman and they don't have aquaman they just literally have a superhero who's got a giant fish head aquarius <laughs> and yeah aquarius. They've, they've got war woman they've got red the, rush the Nightwing or whatever red yeah. rush yeah, yeah. So it's it's just off the bat, it's kind of funny, but man, they fill it with so much heart and just good, like old fashioned storytelling. Basically, we're following uh, Mark Grayson, who's a teenager. His dad is kind of a Superman uh, stand-in, who's you know an extraterrestrial from the Viltrumite planet, and he's come to Earth to like help Earth be better. And he basically is super speed, super strength, super flight. You know, he even kind of looks like Superman a little bit with a big red cape. Um, so now his teenage son, Mark, is finally inheriting his superpowers and learning to become the new superhero, Invincible. And uh, I have to say, like, this, uh, in terms of, like, superhero violence, I have never seen a superhero cartoon ever be as violent and as gory as this one. This is definitely not for kids. No. Um, but it, <laughs> in some ways, though, it does things that, like, even a live-action movie superhero films haven't always figured out how to do which was how do you really showcase characters who literally are like faster than a speeding bullet and who can like stop a locomotive okay what do you do when that character really does just punch someone like oh their fist would go through their head and that's what happens like it's a very uh cartoony slash realistic take on these characters um and the, the storytelling and where it goes, uh, Evan has not seen the ending, so we don't want to give away like what actually happens in the end. But the plot twists in this are just brilliant. Yeah. I, I loved this comic when I was in high school, and I was really looking forward to seeing how they did, like they adapted it to an animated show. 
and all the good emotional high points are hit. All the core moments that I wanted to see are hit. There's some things they do a little bit differently, but overall, like it works so, so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, I didn't realize uh, when I, you know, dove in that it was going to be gory. And then, you know, the, the end of the first episode um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kind of smacks you in the face. And I think that I won't give that away because that that is really a, a plot line that carries the, the entire uh, series forward. I've only seen three episodes, um, but but what I think is is really uh, interesting and what I like and what makes this real is um, you know, is that Mark Grayson, he's got, you know, he's got a superhero dad. He's the most powerful, you know, superhero on the planet. And then his mom is just some normal person. Right. And so we kind of get some moments where we see how, you know, superhero life inter- intersects with uh, normal life. And, you know, I, I really liked it so far. You know, I don't, I, I, I think it's one of those, those shows where, um, you know, like you said, it's just got a good story to it and they've thrown in enough twists along the way where it's kind of, even within the first few episodes where um, it's really uh, kept my interest. Um, you know, obviously, we, you know, we're used to in today's day and age with Disney and Pixar and we're used to these incredible uh, animation uh, films and series. And this is a little more old school in the in the comic book sense, right? I mean, the, the animation isn't, uh, I don't want to say it's cheap because obviously it's intentional, but it's, you know, it's not quite um, Dragon Ball Z where they stand, you know, facing each other for 15 minutes and all you see is their mouths moving, but there's some of that. And I, and I think that was intentional. So mm-hmm. it, I, as long as you're not go, as long as you're going in knowing that that's the style. And I, I think that again, that was done on purpose. Um, it's really enjoyable. Um, but champ, you've obviously seen more of it than I have. So, um, you know, you probably have even more to say. Well, I got a lot of anime vibes for sure from the show. I mean, there was definitely that sort of thing involved and sort of the fighting stuff, but I think there's one thing that this show does better than anything else that I've really seen. Um, and it's, it really delves into the idea of like the true cost of being a superhero. It delves into Mm -hmm. what is the idea of like, listen, if you're going to be a superhero, if you're going to, because in the setting of this world, superheroes are kind of a normal thing, right? They're like embedded in the culture, mm-hmm. you know, like the kids talk about how they, oh, I follow that group on Instagram, you know, or like, it's sort of like, it's no big thing. Superheroes are in this world. Everyone knows it's part of it. So it really gives into this idea of like, maybe there being different tiers of superheroes, this idea that like, if you take this risk on, there'll be real costs to it. If you do this, there's real costs to living this life. There's real costs to your actions as a superhero um, in both ways. Because did you guys ever see that movie Kick-Ass that came out a few mm-hmm. years ago? I loved that movie. That sort of reminded me of that. Yeah, because it's good. That it's movie a good does, twist. Yeah, that movie does the same thing where it takes a very grounded, realistic approach to superheroes where they actually get hit. Yeah. They actually like get wounded. They're actually hurt. They're not like these superhuman people, even though they have superhuman powers, they can still get hit. And this show just shows that really well. It shows the true cost of being a hero in both ways. You know, we get examples like, um, I think it's the third episode when they go to Mars. So this won't be spoiling it, but it's like, you know, that's, that's the next one, but that's okay. Okay. Well, there's just things that happen in the episodes and almost all the episodes where like a superhero will do something and 
it's something that we traditionally associate with being a superhero, but the way that it's depicted in this show uh, could be depicted as like, maybe there that's a super villain action because it's showing the consequences of those actions, whether it's on a different planet, whether it's in, you know, the city, whether it's in Chicago, um, it, it's really focused on the consequences and the, the devastation that can be brought on by people with abilities. And that's what I think this show where it really shines because it's taking that approach to, you know, with their superheroes, they have cosmic powers, but there's real consequences. Yeah, and I don't want to give away the ending because Evan hasn't seen it, but, man, uh, I'm just going to mention it. That subway scene, whew, like, that's a superhero's worst nightmare. And hmm. uh, that scene is technically in the comics. I mean, it is uh, – the, there's a big final battle at the end, obviously, and like, a, a train does get destroyed in the comics, but – the way they add to that destruction in the animated show and the way they make it deeply personal and just deeply gory and just psychologically just traumatizing. Yeah. It's one of the most gruesome and impressively like horrifying things I've ever seen in any superhero show ever. Uh, I, the ending just blew my mind how they added to an already like dramatic um, ending. Yeah. And, and what I, you know, what I'm, really interested in moving forward and i have an idea of, of i think where this whole thing's heading in the final battle so I, I don't know maybe i'll be giving a little bit away here but i'm really interested in the relationship obviously between you know father and son i mean that's the crux of the story here and uh even three episodes in um you can tell that that's going to be something um that you know is at the heart of the story all the way through the end so uh, they've established that. They've established Same. that even a few episodes in. Yeah, you're you're getting warmer. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. You know what um, uh, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. Another just sort of aspect of the show that I really like is you know we've got obviously a, a lot of characters coming in and out of this show, um, but one character that I thought was just so interesting was the Damien Darkblood character. Um, it was yeah. like the demon investigator. And so like Damien Dark mm. is a character in the DC universe. Um, for, for those that know, he was in the Arrow show. He's like this, he's a character. So it's a play on that, literally. But like this guy comes in and out of these episodes, seemingly pretty much unrelated to the rest of the show. And he's just got these weird tics, like the way he talks, the, the idea that this demon from hell is like this amazing investigator and he's trying to investigate to stay out of hell it just brought like this sort of noir uh aspect to the show that sort mm -hmm. of would feel weird if it wasn't done right but in this crazy superhero universe that they're in uh it just felt really cool and i thought it was a really cool angle to bring in and i hope in future seasons we see more of this guy because I thought he was just so interesting. Just, and, and I think Clancy Brown voices him. It was just awesome. I, I really liked the characters in this. They're all so well-defined. So, yeah, yeah, I actually don't – I don't know if we will because I, uh, I haven't um, read more of the comics. Like, I, the, the library that I went to all the time as a kid, that's kind of where I got my comics from. And they had the big first book of Invincible, which ends exactly where the show's season one ends. So, but that was all they had. So I never had the opportunity to read more of Invincible Comics, even though I loved it. And I don't know uh, where where the story goes from here. So I'm actually really excited for season two, just to kind of like find out 
like whatever happened to that storyline I liked when I was like 16 that I never got to read the end of. I was like, hey, what is going to happen? Like, you know, with Invincible. So I'm excited the show's out so I can find out now. Yeah. I guess I could just see if Library in Austin has those books too. But <laughs> yeah. I just think it's it's a fun show because it it really balances you know these big themes we've been talking about, but at the same time it's it's playing on you know the teeny bopper tropes too. You know there's there's this whole other aspect to the show where Mark is dating this girl, where he's interested in talking to friends, and uh, you know he's just trying to navigate school, and there's all this talk about how he's screwing up in school because of all the superhero stuff. So it's just kind of like these interesting ideas where it's like. Uh, if you were a teenage superhero, you know, Spider-Man sort of deals with this stuff too, I guess. But like just how you balance uh, life with becoming a superhero, this show sort of turns it on its head at times. Um, but it, it's interesting how this show can go from being so like grounded in one area to so cosmic real quick. And like one second we're in space and then we're in dealing with this demon stuff. And uh, but for some, some reason it all works. It all comes together. And uh it was a great, I mean, I loved it, man. I'm, I'm so glad, Mike, uh, you made me watch this. I mean, I definitely remember being intrigued by it when, when I saw the trailer, but I don't know if I would have taken that step to watch it. And uh, I'm really happy I did because it's a really interesting take on the superhero idea. Do you guys think that we'll see more of these, like, um, bloody superhero type shows now? Because, you know, we've got The Boys, we've got Invincible, we have this new show, Jupiter's Legacy, um, it, it does seem like uh, since we've had so many, you know, traditional superhero movies in the last like 20 years, I do feel like now we're starting to get like the more like, oh, but what if superheroes are dicks, man, and we have to fight them? Or what if like, yeah. what if your superheroes are punching, yeah. you know, punching everyone's heads off and there's like all this blood and gore and it's not like a Disney movie now. It's like, you know, uh, no, I, I think so. Zack Snyder's Justice League movies or Deadpool, well, I, like, you know. I would just say, yeah, I think we are going to see more of those because, you know, um, the MCU, you know, they're they're obviously, or were, um, really focused on making them commercially viable. I mean, they're incredible movies, but they need to appeal to a wide audience. And the, all these platforms now can really cater towards a more narrow audience. And in this case, it's, it's an adult show um, about superheroes. And that's, there maybe there wouldn't be an audience um, for this without, you know, a streaming platform. And most of all, I'm just glad, Mike, that you uh, suggested a show that's on one that I have access to. <laughs> hey! Yeah. It's the, it's the anti-MCU movement to redefine superheroes <laughs> and what they mean. Yeah. That's, that's what we're seeing here in 2021. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is the industry taking on Disney. <laughs> Dude, seriously, that's kind of what it feels like. Like, uh, well, superheroes don't have to be how you decide they have to be, you know, so... Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I had one other thing I was going to mention, but now I can't remember. So, uh, well, did you, did you guys rate this? I mean, I haven't uh, no. yet, but I, I give it an okay. A. It's an, it's an eight and a half out of 10 for me. Uh, really, really, inter okay. really well done show. A fantastic voice cast. Uh, Steven Young as, as the main guy and JK Simmons, obviously with his booming voice, I think are standouts. Also the guy who's the voice of Rexplode. I, I thought it was Dave Cook <laughs> for a second. It's not, it's, uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's a different guy, but it does kind of sound like Dane Cook if you listen to it. But uh, it's it's the uh, it's the perfume guy from Parks and Rec. If anybody, uh, Jason you know, if names people. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, I haven't. I, he was great in uh, what was it? The Dictator. I remember he was in that. That was really funny. 
Yeah, but the, just great voice yeah. talent all around in this show. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's well made. You can tell it's well thought out. The animation is unique, very gory. They definitely used a lot of red ink in the making of this show. <laughs> uh, needless to say, <laughs> but you should absolutely check it out and do yourself a favor. This is what I was going to say. Go to YouTube and watch uh, the reactions to the end of the first episode. It is absolutely yeah. hilarious. Uh, people lose their mind when that happens. And I did too. I was watching it and I was just oh, like, I did what too. the heck yeah. is this? So uh, crazy, <laughs> crazy ending. Uh, definitely catches you off guard and definitely makes it uh, so you want to watch and see where this story goes. I think we're all three looking forward to, uh, to more seasons for sure of Invincible. Uh, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. So that's going to do it for our hero-filled episode of the Second Day Film Podcast here on Mother's Day, the day when we celebrate our heroes, our mothers. Uh, did you guys get a chance to talk to your moms today? Sure did. Yep. Awesome. That's good. That is great. I got to spend some time with mine as well, and it was awesome. Uh, we hope you had a great Mother's Day as well. Uh, it probably won't be Mother's Day once you're listening to this, but I hope it was a good one. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening here today. Evan, uh, Mike, thanks for being here. Good to talk to you as always. Uh, if you could please like, rate, or review the podcast wherever you're listening. Check out our Facebook page at Second Day Film Podcast. Hit us up with what you want to review. Uh, we've There's going to be stuff coming out here and there. Obviously, we're pumped about Loki. That's going to be pretty fun, I think. Uh, so, yeah, hit us up. Let us know. And until next time, thanks for watching, and we'll see you.